I'd like to think that if I were wrongfully arrested for a crime, I'd also be found innocent by a thorough justice system. But my expert today shows that that's not always the case. By sharing a truly one-sided story of corruption in our courts that stripped the freedoms of an innocent woman. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Gene Adam. Gene is a filmmaker and justice advocate, recently releasing his documentary Finding Betty on multiple streaming platforms. His movie walks through the case of Betty Wilson, an Alabama woman wrongfully convicted of murder back in 1992 and still incarcerated to this day. It shows the usage of fake evidence, unreliable witnesses, and other grossly inhumane practices, all to ensure that this woman spends the rest of her life behind bars for outdated racism as well as sheer laziness. It's a fascinating case that makes no sense once you see past the theater performance the prosecution is putting on. I watched the documentary myself to help prep for the interview, but here's some basics for those of you that have never heard of it. In 1992, Betty and her twin sister Peggy are arrested for conspiracy to commit murder. A man, James White, confessed to the murderer saying that he was hired and assisted in the crime by the sisters. The sisters are immediately taken into custody, shipped to different counties for separate trials, and Betty is held in solitary confinement for over nine months awaiting trial. Keep in mind the current guidelines for solitary confinement in major prisons with convicted offenders is 15 days. Anything beyond that is acknowledged to have lasting effects on a person's mental and physical health. And she was exposed to this for most of a year, while waiting for a trial that had no evidence connecting either sister to this man in any meaningful way. No eyewitnesses, no money trail, no DNA, no fibers, or even bloodstains. They eventually go to trial, and the mentally ill homeless man, who claims to have committed the murder, proceeds to change his official statement five times under police direction so that it bypasses the alibis the sisters otherwise have. They present a murder weapon that the coroner confirms could not have caused the injuries, don't account for any of the inconsistencies, utilized a fake call log to establish any connection, and spend most of their time in court focusing on attacking Betty's character by addressing the open marriage she publicly shared with her husband. Because, wait for it, it involved a black man. And why is that important to the case? Because the county Betty's trial took place in is home of the KKK. And what of her sister Peggy? Well, Peggy was tried in a less racist area with no fake evidence and immediately acquitted. James White even came out later and tried to say that he lied about all of it. The prosecution told him that if he tried to do that, they would revoke his seven-year prison sentence and instead pursue the death penalty. It's so much craziness, but you didn't come here to hear me, so it's time to move on. Let's get into that true crime category. 
Welcome to the show, Gene Adam. How you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to have you on the show. How you doing? Um, I'm great. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? So my name is Gene Adam and I am a filmmaker. So I've created a documentary called Finding Betty. It is about the case of Betty Wilson and an ongoing injustice for the last 30 years in the state of Alabama. And in the documentary, I present a step-by-step -step analysis of the case of Betty Wilson and talk about everything that's wrong with it. Most importantly, the fact that she's been in jail for the last 30 years and still is today. Yeah. And what got you looking into this? So it was, <laughs> if if I may, it was just like any other day where I was just uh, binge watching on the TV uh, and an episode of Forensic Files, um, you know, one of the shows I was really into. And at the time, I had actually never seen the episode on Betty Wilson, even though I'd seen plenty of others plenty of times. And it attracted me because it seemed as if, though, there were so many uh, uncrossed T's and undoubted I's. So what really brought my attention was that uh, her twin sister, Peggy, who was accused of the same uh, the same crime, same testimony, same evidence, uh, she was acquitted and Betty was convicted. And there was just a lot of unanswered questions in the episode. And I just kind of wanted to figure out if I had missed something in the episode or if, you know, um, there was something further that I just didn't understand at the time. So that's, you know, really initially what got me started on it. And that's how I got some, how I got to make a uh, feature length documentary about the entire case and uh, where I am today on uh, the just dumb enough podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You really like, you know, just jumped into this case and it's a, it's a very interesting documentary. Like I watched it and you're a good job. You did like an excellent job laying out the case and showing where there were just colossal holes in the step-by-step -step process. Yeah. Um, so mainly, you know, uh, at first, from a larger picture, you know, you have to look at some of the bigger things like like the ex partes and Brady violations. So, you know, if you're not familiar with those terms, basically an ex parte is when a state official or a member of the court conducts an uncommon practice that is, you know, basically a violation against our civil rights. So these things were practiced in the case of Betty Wilson and in the appeals process. And, you know, when I was doing my research and I saw these things going on, um, it really raised my ears and my hairs is like, okay, so like, how come she never had a retrial or anything like that? And, um, but like, you look at some of the more minimal things, you know, you have to see that the police were feeding the witnesses information so that they can have their testimony a certain way um, and present a, if you may, a political or a racist standpoint that made the people simply hate Betty Wilson. And when you have basically uh, widespread of gibberish evidence um, and just people who are looking for any reason to convict you, they'll convict. And I'll, I'll bring up a little, a little, uh, 
part of my research where I actually compare the case of Betty Wilson to the case of Casey Anthony. Well, actually, <laughs> I just realized I haven't even really given a, a, a background of like the case, like what she was convicted of. So um, if I may. So Betty Wilson was convicted for murder conspiracy in 1993. She was arrested in 1992 and remained in solitary. So she's been in prison since 1992. She was convicted in the murder for her husband. Uh, uh, so the state alleged that she had hired this man, James White, to commit this murder. And the state also alleged that her twin sister, Peggy Lowe, was involved and when James White was brought to testify, you know, he had a solid story, but there were some things that were just really obnoxious as to what he remembered and to what he did not remember. Certain things like he remembered like the color of a bag, but couldn't remember like whether he brought a knife or a rope, even though, you know, the deceased was a stabbed victim. So when he would give these little details and it was clearly evident that he was fed this information and particularly for two reasons. The first reason is that he changed his testimony numerous times and each time he changed his testimony, he ended up remembering more and more of his story. Each time he changed, uh, he changed his statement. Also, you know, it was fairly evident uh, because he would actually ask the police to stop the recordings when, you know, he was having his interrogations and which is an uncommon practice. The police were just simply complying with James White and they would stop the recordings. And so there was just basically a lot to unearth with this whole case and you know, we can talk a little more about, you know, some of the logical and the scientific, you know, factors that played into this. But, you know, I just kind of wanted to give an actual abstract idea of what Betty Wilson has, you know, been in jail for. Yeah. And you do a great job laying it all out, you know, in the documentary, you're very like methodical about it. And that's one of those things that's like beyond james like changing his story a lot yeah and he does it a lot to like fit dates together which is the craziest thing i've heard of is they're like oh we're just gonna change a day because we know it works against an alibi yes and like <laughs> that's like some of like the completely obnoxious things and like the reason why i say is like we have to question the integrity of the justice system is because like the judges allowed this to happen and you know like it's like aren't you guys supposed to be like the you know like shadow realms of like the justice system you know and i i often say this um when i talk about the differences between betty and peggy's case is that you know these things were going on in betty's case but one thing that you know as as horrific as this injustice is the one place I actually do give credit to is the prosecutor of Peggy's case. His name was Daniel Valeska. And he did not abide by the corruption that took place in Betty Wilson's trial. And he 
seemingly, you know, got fried for it because in the case of Peggy Lowe, everything just kept slapping him in the face and, you know, he just continued to go along with the case and eventually she was acquitted because nobody could believe that, you know, she was any bit involved in this. But more so, the case really painted a picture of Betty Wilson as an innocent person. But yeah, back to like what you were saying, there were these, you know, changing of the dates, um, presenting uh, evidence that, you know, should not have been presented. One of the things I actually talk about, um, do you remember the ordeal with the, um, the, the hotel phone call records? Yeah, that was one that was like, originally, when you say it, you're like, this is how it's presented in the case is that they do have a record of this phone call. And then they contact back and they're like, oh yeah, that's a doctored record. It's not even real. Yeah. And then like that, that, that brings this whole, you know, it resurrects the idea of how did this document become presented? You know, like you had to think either somebody at the ho who works at the hotel ended up doctoring it. And like, you think as a like defense attorney, if you're looking at like a record of a phone call, you probably wouldn't think twice about like authenticating it. So like they probably just got it in their possession and they were just like, oh, and then, you know, like, and then all of a sudden Peggy Lowe's on the stand and she's like, I don't remember this phone call. And then like, she's being called a liar. And like, it presents this whole circuit of probably the one person who was there to, you know, defend the lights out of Betty Wilson was being presented as this liar. And, you know, who was also at the time, um, you know, alleged to be involved with it. So it was very resounding that that was the way that, you know, um, the, the state really went forward on just attacking Betty Wilson. Yeah, there certainly was a lot of that. And it shocked me that they're like their star witness, the man that put all the details together and told this entire story that ended up convicting Betty claimed for himself that he had drank 18 beers and was taking pills both before, during, and after the time of the murder. Yes. And then like, supposedly he remembered all this stuff, like the color of the bag. And, you know, he couldn't remember that he brought a rope and a knife because he was too drunk or too intoxicated. And it's like, okay, man. And like, that's like, clearly evident of the police feeding the witness this information and i said in my research um like so like my film is actually based on my research so like I, the research document is about 77 pages and basically the film is like a condensed version of it you know to as much as it could take and what i actually said um is that the truth of what took place that day is either a drunken memory or I don't want to say a drunken memory, like um, a blackout, you know, um, like it, he just doesn't remember what took place. And, you know, he just ended up being told this is what happened or he does remember it, but can't process everything altogether. You know, um, this man was still is you know 
mentally ill, extremely mentally ill. Um, he'd been in and out of, uh, he'd been in and out of hospitals, uh, you know, just being treated for his mental illness. And this is like the star witness who's supposed to be giving you all this information about what Betty and Peggy did. And, you know, it's it like a lot of it did not make sense. And that's kind of what really sparked my interest initially um, when I was watching like the TV, because they had mentioned that, you know, James White was mentally ill and they did, you know, at the time, I think it came out in 1996. So like not a lot of the corrupt practices had been, you know, brought to light because, you know, I think Betty Wilson only had one appeal at the time and she was working on the second. Um, and then there was another episode in 2007 where she was uh, in a show. It's called On the Case with Paula Zahn. And there was uh, like, you know, there was more to it. Um, but like in that episode, they interviewed Jimmy Fry and they also interviewed the twin sisters. Um and the problem with that is, is that in the episode of Forensic Files, they actually had the ability to argue that the bat was not the weapon used. And on on the case with Paula Zahn, because, you know, Dr. Chris Sperry isn't there, they're talking about how the bat is used for the crime. And it seems more of a state versus Betty as, as opposed to a Betty is innocent type of agenda. So there are many different, you know, TV episodes, books, articles on the case of Betty Wilson. But, you know, a lot of us in the public, we just don't really know enough about the case. And that's kind of what really bothered me in and of itself. And, you know, that was the, that's what, you know, had me look up hey is there a way i can get my film on a amazon prime or whatever if i'm just an independent filmmaker and like i found out there was a way and i was just like holy shit, i guess i'm gonna be an independent filmmaker <laughs> with zero experience <laughs> yeah and i mean there was a lot of things when you were looking at this case where you're like local politics is involved as they're like shuffling people in and out to different jails like they separated the sisters betty ends up in solitary without a trial yeah. ends up in solitary for like nine months or something nine and a half months yeah which is insane like we don't yeah we know the practice of putting people in solitary now is nightmarish and they're like yeah no trial no nothing before you even go to court, you're going to solitary. <laughs> yeah. And that was like nine and a half months she was down there. Um, the only person uh, she had like consistent contact with was her lawyer. Um, and that was like if, you know, he just came on his own terms. Um, and she would have occasional visits from her family but like from everybody else in solitary screaming and shouting and banging on the walls they had to like shout between the walls just to like talk to one another and you know like you you read about this stuff and it's you know just the treatment of what she got was you know horrific but like it's it's even more propelling because this is a truly innocent person that they are doing this to and I think that's what really bothers me at the most. Yeah, I mean, you watch, like, through the 
through the literal evidence that's very apparent, you watch the justice system absolutely railroad Betty on this, where they're like, we're not giving her defense team information that's critical. We're not allowing her to see people. We're putting her in a bad mental state. We're like making up evidence. We're they took care of their the murderer in the case that actually oh, yeah. committed the murder. He's like, yeah, yeah, I committed the murder. And, and they're like, great, let's take care of him really, really well. Yeah. Like, as far as, like, just taking care of James White, it's, you know, um, you know, they they bring this story to the people and they make these allegations that James White, you know, committed this murder. But if you really, like, look at the evidence, it's like, Okay, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't, but what we can see is that if he was, he was not alone. And there was never anything brought to anyone's, you know, attention that James White may have not been the only accomplice through the entire case of Betty Wilson. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are just like glaring inaccuracies or, you know, just like I said, just a failure of the justice system to give a fair trial. Yeah. And that's kind of the like terrifying conclusion you leave people with is you're like, Oh if yeah. This is happening to Betty. This is happening to anybody. Oh yeah. And politics, you know, played, played a big factor in it. Um, there, and there was a lot that just shocked me about the case. Like, like, realistically like this was just a case i just randomly stumbled on you know there was an episode of forensic files i didn't even think it would be as such an eye-opening ordeal as it actually was like the original district attorney his name's mo brooks right so he um he was the one who gave james white his deal and during the time someone who worked for him his name was tim morgan he declared that he was going to run against Mo Brooks at the next district attorney election. So he fires Tim Morgan because he didn't like that he was running against him. And then in a whole twist of irony, Tim Morgan actually beat him. And if you actually, there's like some footage. Um, if you look on, uh, on the case of Paul Azan, and it's there on the episode of Forensic Files, you actually see when the police are taking like the evidence out of the house that there is a sign for the support of Tim Morgan on the front of Betty Wilson and Dr. Wilson's property. So here's this guy, you know, who originally, you know, is prosecuting the case of Betty Wilson, and then he loses the election, so he doesn't even end up prosecuting the case. Um, Tim Morgan has to recuse himself because of his affiliation with them, and she ends up having to do her trial in Tuscaloosa, which is like the home of the Ku Klux Klan, um, you know, the League of the South, and, you know, this is a place where they brought a trial case where this white woman is having sex with a black man, even though she's married to a white man, and even though they're in an open relationship, they would have had any reason to fry her if, you know, if they had the possibility to. So you look further down the line, right? Like when I stumbled upon this case and I was just looking up, you know, like what people were up to these days, um, the 
one who prosecute who ended up prosecuting Betty Wilson's case, Jimmy Fry, uh, died in 2018, and Mo Brooks, the one who was initially the one who who gave James White his deal and was the original person who charged Betty Wilson and Peggy with the crime. This man was in Congress. Like, and this isn't even just a testament to, you know, where my politics, where your politics may be or whatever. This is just like, this man's history is awful. Truly to be like involved with this case, to see the injustice that transpired and to see him in a congressional seat absolutely disgusted me and he actually just lost his most recent election and uh because he was trying to run for senate and you know in a twist of fate donald trump just pulled his endorsement for him and he ended up losing everything and there is something in there where you're like this deal they offered james white is so ridiculous that the person who openly admitted to the murder got seven years basically they're like seven years with good behavior and you're on probation whereas betty white for conspiracy of murder got life in prison yeah no parole yeah so you're like okay so the guy who actually committed a murder got you know seven tenths of a decade and betty is forever yeah and she's 77 now and she's like still in jail and uh I'll actually tell you a story about the uh, foundation of the film. So we had actually started working, started putting, you know, stuff together February of 2020. And we had secured a in-person interview with Betty Wilson to actually like record for the film. And so we were first told that we can have the interview, but we weren't allowed to ask her anything about her case. So that was told to us from the prison staff. And then March 2020 comes along when we were trying to like organize an ordeal. And then pandemic came about and shut everything down. So we had waited like over a year to finally get, you know, the approval back. And when the inmates were vaccinated, we still didn't get approval. So I just said, the hell with it. I said, Betty, listen. Because uh, at the time, um, I was in constant contact with a member of her family. And I said, um, because she can call in, but, you know, it's not like I can pick up the phone and call Betty. So she calls them like every day. So I was like, listen, tell her to call me Saturday as soon as the phones turn on. And all day we're going to be doing, I'm going to be asking her or whatever. And I ended up, you know recording the uh the audio of that interview the actual interview itself with me and betty is like over two hours and you know we talk about you know everything and that's on uh the facebook support page and you know that's how i ended up getting her interview actually for the movie even though uh we couldn't do it in person but it was just an, an audio interview i did have like this crazy uh idea of like going in and then uh having like you know like a little interview just to make sure i got footage 
And then uh, before, you know, like summarizing things up, telling her that I can't talk to her about her inter- about her uh, case today. But if she'd like, we could talk about her twin sister's case. And I felt that that was like a really good idea. And I was going to like, you know, flip the whole script and then, you know, just talk about Peggy's case. <laughs> yeah. But I never got that opportunity because, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff. It, it, it actually was supposed to be like a six month ordeal from start to finish and it ended up being over two years well and there's another interesting thing in there where you know even after all of this research has been done even after like the documentaries out and people are fully aware like okay there's a lot of shoddy evidence and just bad practices that happened here why is it she hasn't gotten another appeal and it's a clear like everything if you actually look at the research everything is tailored to how much the state of alabama just simply hates betty wilson and like she has not done anything to the state of alabama with the you know um like i was gonna say with the exception of like having an affair with a black man but like that's not doing anything to the state of alabama i just think the state of alabama takes offense to that um or at least they did back in 1992 and one of the startling things about, you know, following up after like her court and like the appeals process is this ordeal with the Innocence Project. So what the Innocence Project actually does. Right. Um, so they they basically take uh, they basically exonerate people by utilizing like DNA to eliminate them as a suspect or some for that ordeal or just utilizing like DNA evidence to help with overturning convictions as well, which would be the situation in this process. Right. So this is like the funny, like it's not funny, but it's just like comical of the state of Alabama because the trial of Betty Wilson happened in 1992. And then in 2001, that's when the innocence project, you know, stepped in and said, Hey, listen, if you allow us to test the evidence for DNA, because DNA evidence wasn't readily available in 1992, um, the only thing that they were able to match at the time were like blood types and things like that. So what they did was they said, okay, we'll take the evidence and we will test it. And all they had to do was just hand over the evidence to the Innocence Project. And you think about it, right? We are in 2023. So that took place in 2001. The state of Alabama just simply refuses to hand over the evidence because of the possibility of exonerating Betty Wilson. And like it would cost them absolutely no money. The Innocence Project would pay for the testing. And all they want to do is just help find the truth, right? And you think about it, right? We're in 2023. This took place in 1992. The possibility that the DNA evidence or the evidence itself is like degraded or like they'll find anything is like more than likely. But if that, you know, possibility of that, you know, something actually still survived all that and turns up, I feel as though the state of Alabama needs the story of Betty Wilson to be a guilty person because of the person they painted her to be, which is 
even more comical because the person they painted her to be is truly not the person she really is. Yeah, and it was this question that kind of nagged at me the whole time where I'm like, who is benefiting from keeping Betty in prison? And as we've kind of been talking, it's like, well, I guess the most obvious benefit is that the state of Alabama doesn't have to say like, yeah, we were wrong. We totally set that one up and we have to apologize for it. They're like, I'm not apologizing. Yeah. She's guilty and no one can prove us otherwise. Yeah. And, and they will go through, they will jump through hoops of fire to not do that. I just hope that at some point, you know, like, I, I don't even care if it just takes somebody just being like, all right, I'm throwing the hat in for this one. Like enough is enough. Just, I just hope that, you know, like at some point there can be some type of turnaround for, you know, Betty Wilson. And like, it's sad because that's basically became her life for the last 30 years. And it's, I couldn't say I'd wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you kind of open the whole movie with this quote that I wanted to talk about where they say it's better for 10 guilty persons to escape than for one innocent to suffer. And that's a really powerful statement because it's making like a pretty aggressive claim where you're like the suffering of one innocent person outweighs, you know, a lot of, yeah, a lot of other stuff. Is that kind of like something you'd found and just resonated with? So uh, the quote itself, um, I had heard it float around more than once. Um, ironically, um, I actually don't know where I first heard it. Um, I want to say it might've actually been in one of the books of the research or something like that, but I want to say like a couple, you know, maybe a year or something like, uh, after I had actually like put that part together, like while I was preparing the film, um, I'm a big fan of, uh, SVU. Um, and so like, oh, one of the episodes, um, there was somebody who was like being let out of jail for like being there for like... For like, I think it was like 15 years at the time. And then like the judge, she goes, um, like she starts her thing by saying, by saying that exact same quote. And, you know, one of the things I, I compared the case of Betty Wilson to is the case of Casey Anthony. And the way I compare it is not for the case itself. It's mainly because I felt that, um, there was a big sensation in the media in both of their cases. And if you really look at Casey Anthony and the way she's portrayed in the media and, you know, through our day-to-day -day lives, she is a hated person. And what I say in my research is that I felt that she had a fair trial. And the reason that she was let off was, you know, a reasonable case behind it because simply they couldn't prove that the baby had been murdered that was and that was it so that was why she couldn't you know be convicted of murder with that with that said you know i don't think for a second that you know she is a um as a responsible mother or you know she handled the situation you know with due diligence or anything like that and i I never like formed an actual opinion as to whether or not I felt that she did it, but 
there is so much more in her case that would have pointed to her being a guilty party than there is in the case of Betty Wilson. And yet, Casey Anthony walks a free person today. And Betty Wilson has been in jail for the last 30 years. And there's other cases that I compare it to. Um, There was another one that was like an actual love triangle that like, so like the state was trying to present this idea that like Betty Wilson had her husband killed um, because she wanted his money. And, you know, she was having an affair with somebody else that, you know, like she was like, there was possibly a love triangle, but even the person you know, who came to trial and was like, yes, I had an affair with Betty Wilson. No, she never said she loved me or had any, you know, plans of doing things with me as far as more than just sex. And that was basically it. But you bring this idea to them. It didn't matter what this man was saying. This was a black man that she was having an affair with. That's all that mattered to those who are watching. So there really was not a love triangle. Whereas, um, I want to say the name is Karen Newell and it was like a case in Florida where this woman actually hired somebody to kill her husband because she wanted to be with them. And, you know, like there was information that like she took out life insurance policies and like, you know, the the actual witness or like the actual killer, you know, gave the information of what he did, you know, X, Y, and Z. He was, credible you know and they're they're like these ordeals where it's like this is what a guilty party would look like and in that case she didn't even go to trial she just took a plea bar she just took a plea deal you know and the very last thing i asked betty wilson in the case um when i interviewed her was i said if they let you out today and you said that and they just said that they wanted you to uh, admit to the crime how would you res- respond and she's like i would never do that type of and um <laughs> I, I when i asked when i asked her during the interview she actually responded fairly calm i thought you know i was gonna get you know some some words but you know sh- she maintained due diligence but you know the, like there was absolutely not but like to think that she would actually spend the rest of her life in jail then admit to, you know, something that she clearly didn't do. I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, look, just three words. I did it. And you can walk free. And she's like, no, because I did. And I won't say that. <laughs> I thought that was incredible. And uh, I think it, it shines a good light to say like, hey, we have a, a system that needs a lot of work. Hopefully it has gotten a lot better over the years, but there is still at least some part of it that's not working because when presented with evidence, it's not adjusting its own judgment. Like 30 years later, you're like, here's all of the evidence that is faulty with this case. Will you look at it again? And they're like, nah, not interested. And it's, it's it's not in it. The, the incredible thing is that it doesn't even stop there. It goes beyond that. And it's like, these are presented in the appeals and they're like, no retrial. And <laughs> it like blows your mind that like, this is allowed to happen. Naturally, like if a judge were to do diligence and actually like 
look like an appeals judge were to actually look at, you know, these this case, they absolutely would allow for a retrial. And, you know, that's what really raises the question of, you know, where the integrity lies in our justice system, because if a judge can just simply do that and then allow Betty Wilson to suffer, where is the actual, you know, top of the, you know, ordeal? And it goes to a big, big, you know, skepticism in media is trust in our government, you know, trust in our police, you know, trust in our uh, politicians who, you know, are elected to do these duties where they abide by the constitution and it really just it, they just kind of like feel the need to relay politics that don't support their position and simply because people hate somebody so much they'll look the other way you know whether it's once or twice and it's when you ask yourself why people hate betty wilson it's not even they're, they're not even good reasons. Um, and to the point where you can make this argument that, well, why do you hate Betty Wilson? Oh, because she killed her husband. And the answer to that is no, she didn't. But if you listen to these government and state officials who are just feeding you lie after lie after lie, it, it, it makes the problem that matters that much worse. And then like 30 years later, we have an innocent woman still in jail yeah and feeding lies to the point that they threatened james white when he wanted to recant yeah. his entire thing he's like look betty wasn't involved peggy wasn't involved this wasn't a thing like i i was wrong i lied about all of this stuff they were like you will go to jail forever if you get up on that stand and say that they 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 told him that they will re revoke his uh his deal and pursue the death penalty against him they literally threatened him with his own life yeah because he's like look i want to change my story i lied it's not true and they're like we will kill you <laughs> yeah and it's phenomenal because like they had no shame in doing it on the episode of uh on the case with Paulazan, the prosecutor the district attorney jimmy fry he was interviewed and he says that on camera on national tv yeah, that's what I did. And I'm just like, holy shit. And then, like, you look even more into it, like, James White has his own court-appointed attorney, Roy Miller, who should have been there, you know, during the recant trial to defend James White. He doesn't show up. Jimmy Fry, the prosecutor of Betty Wilson's trial, is there to defend James White. It's like, how does this even happen? Yeah, it is a very large twisted web and something people should be giving a lot of consideration to when you, you know, want to put your trust blindly in some of these cases that you think yeah. just might, might not sit right with you. It, yeah. It gives and people like, pause. And, and it, 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 it gives me like, you know, cause I feel like there's times where, you know, people commit God awful crimes. And I, I feel like, you know, they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And it makes me think, like, when I'm watching these type of, like, horrific things, like, is there more that I'm just missing? Because, like, when, you know, I always feel awkward, like, defending Casey Anthony, 
But one of the things that, like I always said about her case was if, you know, they couldn't prove that she murdered her child and she was convicted. I, I even say this in my research. I would not lose as much sleep as I would have for the case of Betty Wilson if Casey Anthony was convicted. But what if, like, 20, 25 years later down the line, there's some, you know, scientific advancement where they can actually exhume the body and prove that the baby was not murdered. If But 20 years before... Here's the defense saying, like, you can't prove the baby was murdered. She still gets convicted. And then, like, these scientific advancements come. And then, like, if she was convicted, she just spent all that time in jail for something that, you know, she was sitting there claiming she was innocent of. And that's just part of the problem. You know, like, when we looked at Casey Anthony, like, we thought she should have went to jail. Um but you can't answer all the questions. If you can, be my guest. You know, like, hopefully they'll secure a conviction and, you know, they can go to jail. But you have to ask with every single step, is due process really being done? Yeah. Are we being fair in this? And I think that's something good to to leave people to ponder on, but I wanted to give you some time to kind of plug the documentary and where people can find you if they're looking for more of you. Uh, so um, Finding Betty is available on Apple TV, Amazon Prime Video, YouTube TV. You can also find it in the iTunes store or the Google Play store. Um, you can rent or buy from any of those ad-free if you want to watch with ads for free, <laughs> you can go to Tubi and look up Finding Betty there. Um, you can also find on the Facebook page, the Facebook support page is called Free Betty Wilson Project. And you can go there. If you look in the featured area of the Facebook page, you'll find um, the movie trailer. You'll find my research document. You'll find the inner interview as a whole with Betty Wilson and you'll find that class presentation as a whole on that page and if you also need to uh, find me directly you can go to that page and send a message as I run that page um, and if you're looking for any type of resources for help you know if you truly want to act in helping Betty Wilson contact you know whether it be your local politicians um if you know any celebrities or you know if you just want to tag them on a post you can also reach out to some nonprofits. you can look into the aclu uh the national organization for women the sentencing project um and the equal justice initiative and you can call and you can ask them what they're doing to aid in the efforts to help betty wilson on any of their numbers or send them an email and if all is well you know hopefully we can all come together in the efforts to fight uh for the freedom of betty wilson absolutely thank you so much for being on the show i have enjoyed this immensely You're fantastic I, I, and this is really crazy to hear all about <laughs> thank you for having me brother i really appreciate it and i'll stay in touch do you feel more educated after listening to this episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast? 
If you enjoyed the episode, please take a brief moment to rate it five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible, wherever you're listening from. If you really like what I'm doing, remember to subscribe for two new episodes every week, and check out the over 100 episode backlog. Let me know what you'd like to hear next by reaching out and emailing me, dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending a message to me on any of the show pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. First week of March, and here are the rankings. Number one, the United States, with Texas, Oregon, and New York as top states. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Ireland. Welcome to the top three with some impressive numbers that almost beat the UK. Number four, Australia, led by the Northern Territory for, I think, the first time. And number five, Canada, with British Columbia as top province. What an interesting time. That's it for today. I'll see you all on Thursday for the next episode. Bye-bye!